football on off the ball with sky all the football you love in one place across sky sports bt sport and premier sports daniel mcdonnell of the irish independent hello hi joe this is bringing back memories yeah back in the uh the old studio yeah what is it mean it's actually it's newer looking than it was yeah the last time we would have been in here talking we mentioned earlier on, if you're just tuning in, our uh, Off The Ball studios, as you know and love them, listeners, you'll see them on uh, your social feeds. They're being upgraded currently. And so we're in the News Talks studios. Yeah. Which is where you and I used to have it's many a, conversations. It's novelty. Yeah. So you've been in here doing a couple of, your, done a couple of current affairs cameos, haven't you? So sure have, yeah. You look, you look quite comfortable in that seat. Not mm-hmm. like you could just start talking about the economy at any second. Answer the question, Minister. <laughs> yeah. That's, all this, that's, that's, that's say, basically it? what you need to yeah. do, yeah. We've uh, lots to get through. Duffer. Let's talk Duffer. Damien Duff's Shelburne in the FEI Cup final. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, like in, in what, February when he was, well, he wasn't appointed in February, he was appointed around this time last year, I suppose. But when the season started on February, there was an element of, how's this going to go? It's gone really well, you know, Um Yes, they're, what, they're like seventh, I think, in the table. They're not going to f- probably finish any higher. Um, but, like, when you think about his, like, he, maybe when you cover it all the time, as I have been, like, you, you don't really, you know, you just get used to it. And that's the thing. Like, I mean, you know, there was this big fanfare around, you know, Duffer at the start and the first game was televised and all. But, you know, he's, he's just, he's just in some ways, he's just slotted into the League of Ireland scene quite sort of comfortably. Like, not everything is a big talking point. You know, you can go to Michelle's game and, to be a handful of press lads talking to him and that's it you know no it's, it's he, not like uh, Roy Keane proportions no he has settled in not at all nicely. very very and like in a way like some people who probably didn't know him and I'm not pretending to know him either um, but some people didn't know him were like ah he's going to he's going to jack it in he's going to you know he'll be gone in three months or six months or whatever um, and you kind of forget that actually he was working at underage league of Ireland level for the last couple of years and had shown a sort of his ability to dedicate himself to something and that's what he's done. And I suppose for people who haven't seen Shells this year, haven't followed their story, um, like he's actually built a team that is very unified, like very sort of, they they have a little bit of a siege mentality thing probably going on. He's promoted some younger players across the season that is a very different team at the end of the season than the start of it. But the guy who scored the goal on, on Sunday for him, Gavin Malloy, wasn't in the first team at the start of the season and he's been a real sort of breakout star. He's from... Uh, he's from Richard Dunn's great sporting family, like Theo Dunn would be his grandfather and stuff. And uh, you know, but anyway, um, like he's he's just done a really good job mm. in a yeah in a very sort of I wouldn't say understated because he's met his headlines and he's he's as he said himself the other day he rants and he raves and and he's very animated and like other fans have been round up by him at, at many occasions like. Um, the Shells fans have this song that they sing from now where it's like to the, to the tune of Zombie by the Cranberries. So it's like in your head, in your head, duffer, duffer. And it's because at various times he said things that have annoyed Bowes fans or annoyed Pats fans, but they've they've got good results against them. And okay. he's going to the Aviva. Like you think about it, like he's one of Ireland's greatest ever players, he won 100 caps. Um, he was this sort of... Ah, beloved Duffer, you know, he likes to sleep and, he, you know, his reputation as a player was one of, uh, does he does he take this, not that does he take it seriously, but you know what I mean, it was very much like his natural ability and now what, next month, um, he's going to be standing in the Aviva as mm, a manager and there's something yeah. pretty cool about that. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. Um, They'll go in as big underdogs. They will, yeah. He'll be up against Derry City and Murray Higgins, who um, uh, would both have I mean, two members of Stephen Kenny's initial backroom staff um, on the sideline as it happened, you know. Um, so they would have worked together for a spell, um, a very sort of brief spell for a couple of months. You know, he, Higgins was the chief scout uh, and analyst when, when Duff was Kenny's, what, number three or whatever his technical term was. There's not a club around that doesn't have a former member of Stephen <laughs> yeah, Kenny's if you don't, staff. If you don't have one, do you even, are you even a club? <laughs> um, but there's a nice bit, bit of beef between Shells and Derry as well too because... I was at the most recent game between Dan, them. Is there a pairing in the League of Ireland that there isn't a nice bit of beef between? Yeah, UCD and everyone else. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's no UCD grudge match. Right. You know? I mean, aside from that, no, no. Like someone, yeah. someone it's, like, it's like the old FBI, someone threw a bread roll at someone back in the day. Um, but the Shells Derry one, um, after the most recent game between them, they're actually playing in the league this Friday and Derry are sort of in the title race now, so mm. it's quite a big game. But the previous game, Derry got what may prove to be a very important 92nd minute goal at Talca Park to win. Um, and all the games this season between them, the Shells were the first team to beat Derry up in the Brandywell at the start of the season. They just had a nice little niggle. Mm. Um, but it was quite a friendly niggle on, I think, the most recent game where Derry scored in the 92nd minute. Um, and Damien Duff came down afterwards and started giving out about well there's 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 you know teams in this league that have got a wage bill three or four times the size of us now that drove a lot of other managers mad in the in the league because they're like oh, shells isn't it bad are you saying that our budget is this but you kind of thought this was a little bit of press you know saying something in the press to get a bit of a reaction uh, apparently the Derry players afterwards were in the dressing room and I think Damien Duff might have made comments towards the dressing room about uh, the, you're celebrating you're celebrating this when you're you know your wage bill is this Ooh. and um, I think the dairy players turned the music up a little bit louder to celebrate so nice little bit of, bit of beef nice little bit of beef Good. there Good. and that's what you want storylines mm. so that's we're going to have one coming up the next month yeah well that is befitting showpiece day that is great it'll be good yeah uh, meanwhile Sunday Times sports section front page mm. Paul Rowan exclusive I <laughs> mean <laughs> This is just something. I don't think this has kind of been picked up massively and maybe to some extent it's much ado about nothing. But at the same time, I think it's significant. So Paul Rowan had the exclusive in the Sunday Times. It was the front page of their sports section over the weekend. And it's Roy Barrett, FAA, uh, FAI chairman for the last uh, three years or so. Uh, basically, he wrote an email to board members and he is fed up with the leaks and he's fed up with the, the briefings to journalists against Stephen Kenny. And the Sunday Times got to see this email. So it was sent on October 1st. This was four days after the win against Armenia, the 3-2 win against Armenia. So what Roy Barrett is saying is, the Irish Independent today writes, this is on October 1st. This was you, was it? It was, yeah. You wrote this? Yeah. Okay. The Irish Independent, Dan McDonnell, Today writes that, quote, influential FAI figures with reservations about Stephen Kenny are more strident in bar rooms than in boardrooms. He says the Daily Mail reports there is, quote, growing FAI anxiety, end quote. John Fallon in the Irish Examiner also alluded to growing concerns on the board of the performance of the team and Stephen. This is getting tiresome and it reflects poorly on the board. Will those members who believe it's okay to express opinions to journalists on Stevens or any other FAI staff member's performance, please desist from doing this. You're letting everybody else on the board down and it's just embarrassing at this point. We look like a pub team. That's really going to go down well with sponsors and government. Regards, Roy. Hmm. 
So he's peeved. Um, the Sunday Times piece, uh, Paul Ron's piece, did uh, say that the email has caused some antagonism. Sources close to the board say they no longer wanted nodding dogs at the top of the association. Um, the source also mentioned, and maybe this was the uh, source of the conversations between board members and journalists, I don't know, but the source uh, pointed out that a recent gathering of football journalists, politicians and senior FAI figures was attended not just by board members, but by senior members of the executive as well. However, Barrett has been surprised at the number of leaks coming out of the association since he took the reins nearly three years ago. So it's not just about potentially this gathering or otherwise. It's not just Mm. about the most recent uh, conversations between board members and journalists. He's surprised generally at the, the leaks coming out. So sent the email. And naturally enough, the email requesting leaks desist ends up on the front page of the Sunday Times sports section. Mm. Who have you been chatting to? Where do you want to, where, <laughs> do you want me to go with this one, Who's Joe? your source? <laughs> where do you want me to go with this one? Um, What's your... Okay, i tell you exactly where I want to go. Because I'm not a, a, a news sourcing yeah, journalist. There's, a, there's an element of a media thing to this, right? But sorry. Yeah. I'm not a news sourcing journalist, so I, don't, I have no idea how all this works, really. I, I read the pieces and I discuss them afterwards. I suppose what I would like to know, and therefore I hope the listener would like to know, is what is going on with the FAI board? Because it seems like there's this uh, balance of power or, or this fight for a balance of power whereby a lot of the board, I think clearly Roy Barrett included, are very much behind Stephen Kenny and are trying to, you know, the days of everything being leaked and uh, politicking and, and rancor going on. Let's try and be more professional. And then there are some board members who are clearly still talking to journalists. And what's more, they're briefing against Stephen Kenny or certainly they're saying they don't have faith in Stephen Kenny. Mm. And there's a tussle ongoing still in the FAI for a board which is aligned and together. The question, this doesn't seem like an, a, a board which is getting on very well. No, and... <laughs> I suppose if you look at the, the, the life span of this board um, and like, you have to be a small bit careful about, about talking about this in the sense that like, you, you almost end up going down the road of like let's speculate who someone's sources might be on a story you know and that's always like a, a, a dangerous a dangerous game um, whatever feelings or suspicions that you might have about something it's, it's still a weird discussion to have mm-hmm. right um, but maybe to look at the makeup of this board. So um, there's six independent directors. Like, you know, at the end of John Delaney years, like all the board members were from the football family, inverted commas. They'd come through, you know, various leagues, committees, whatever, you know, how it all was played itself out. Yeah. That's been well documented. Yeah. Subsequently, there's been changes made as part of governance reforms and stuff that was brought in to, to for the bailout, uh, the bailout that wasn't a bailout and all the stuff to get the FEI out of financial issues. You now have six independent directors and you have six football elected directors, i.e. they're coming from the, again, they're still coming from the football family, but their parish has been reduced. Mm-hmm. Um, there would have been two League of Ireland representatives, one um, similarly with sort of grassroots and other, other particular uh, roles. Um, and... Within like the within the lifespan of this board, there would have been, um, I would have been at one point. I can't just quite off, remember off the top of my head when this was, but there would have been a, a statement released by the football elected directors. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, as having a go at Roy Barrett to do with um, the terms and conditions in which this bailout was agreed, and you had this very unusual situation where um, you have one mer- several members of the board signing a statement sort of having a little bit of a pop at another side of the board. So mm. there's been a little bit of 
tension there in, okay. in a sense within the football elected of maybe do we need all of these independent directors at times okay. you know like are we being pushed to the side are we being taken over and r- being run by non-footballing these, people, non-footballing people? Mm. Um, although I mean the independent directors now also includes Packy Bonner for example and it does include some people who maybe would have a very much business or HR or other backgrounds so there's always been a little bit of a, a niggle there okay. I think between sides um, and I sometimes wonder the extent to which like um, around certain issues does are these just natural um, are these fault lines appearing you and know could I interrupt there now? sorry it's a bit unwieldy in some way no I understand so I'm not speculating here about who leaked this could be yeah. one one board member this could be every single board member is talking to journalists who knows because it's genuinely not possible to tell from Paul Ron's piece but is it your sense that the independent members are more behind Stephen Kenny and the footballing family are less behind him or does it even fall down around those lines? It falls down a bit but I suppose in terms of stronger voices on each side you could say it goes that way. Like, I mean, Paul Rowan's piece to me and that that letter, that made perfect sense to me in the sense that I didn't look at that and say, well, that's surprising. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, there's a gathering reference there. I have a pretty good idea what that gathering, <laughs> what that gathering is. That's referenced. I'm not sure that was referenced in the letter, by the way. I think it's more um, a source thing around it. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think the letter, if I understand, references a specific gathering. Um, but certainly, and, it, and it's a weird one because Roy Barrett would be down, like listed in a number of places, and you've just we've just discussed it there. Very openly known as a big supporter of Stephen Kenny on yeah. the board. Yeah, I think quite a few people would be aware of board members who maybe have a few more reservations who maybe in certain settings have probably talked openly enough about mm-hmm. their reservations in such a way that it hasn't been discreet um, so it wouldn't be a huge shock to people on the news beat sure. as such um, but many, these people how, don't necessarily are, get Are there named. many board members who are, are uh, of a similar view not so um, sure on Stephen Kenny? I, I think there would be probably one or two louder voices and I'm not sure about the rest. I don't know the board business on the rest. I mean, I will point out that, and I, I did write about this recently, how many times in the Stephen Kenny era have we been told, oh, he's a gamer too. Yeah, he's got, quite a bit. And, and I mean, why did I write, why did I, I mean, I, I, I did write that line about people being more strident in, in bar rooms and boardrooms. I can't deny it. To me, I think at times during the Kenny era, I think there's been a lot of tall talk in more private settings. But then when it comes down to it, um, you never get the sense that Kenny's being close to a heave at all. And maybe in time, we'll hear that that's the opposite. But mm. there's been all these games. So if he doesn't finish third in the group, if, he, if they're not in contention going to November, and you have all these pieces appearing in pretty much in similar places, yeah. suggesting that if he's gone, he's gone. And the context of this particular week was, and the most recent one after the Armenia game, yeah. where again, um, it was a bad night at the Aviva, yeah. really bad night for Ireland at the Aviva. Um, but then you had in a lot of the same places that had previously talked about Stephen Kenny being a gamer too from that and you sort of you are they maybe the same sources who knows who knows if that's the case again it's like if Ireland starts slowly in March he could be gone again and it's like how many times can this can this cat be almost killed off um, and I don't know the extent to which Kenny has ever really been under that sort of pressure of the, he, he's he's two games from the sack or he's one or two games from the sack Um I'm not personally convinced of that. Mm. Um, but, you know, people speak to different people and I would have a different impression of things. But to, to bring back to the point, 
I mean, it looks terrible, right? It looks absolutely terrible. That's Roy Barrett's point. Yeah, it does. I mean, it does look terrible. Mm. And I mean, subsequently, I've tried to speak to people around this and, you know, um, there's no real sort of news follow up per se. It's something that happened. It's something that reflects a situation that exists. Um, and uh, you would think that if um, if people are sort of have their reservations um they would be a little bit more careful about the setting in which to express them. But then in saying that, um, kind of journalists really complain about like, you know, board members talking. That's the way things work in every, like that's how stories sure. happen for years. So you feel like a bit of a, sort of a, a prat taking a stand against it because I'll be a hypocrite. I'll happily try and speak to board members to find out what they think about stuff. Sure. And to speak. So really like, can't take too much of a stand on that. Yeah. And board members in, in previous iterations under the Delaney era broadly speaking speaking were they uh, unwilling to speak to journalists as in you guys were the enemy that was a well, that yeah. was a, that was a united board yeah. <laughs> yeah well i think that board i mean that board was sort of it was one and yeah 11 yeah what was that thing what was that line nodding dogs might have applied to that time yeah i think i think history would suggest that maybe that board i, I think that the board now does have more uh, does have a little bit more of a uh, balance a balance in terms of like uh, views would be expressed upon it but it doesn't it's, it's just it, it's, you know what it's, it's just like the whole Kenny era generally it's just all so fraught mm. and so factioned and so sort yeah. of like draining to the point that like you just feel like you just feel like oh, this this was meant to be a lot more fun than this Do you know I had the same thought because he was on the show Stephen Kenny a couple of weeks ago and you think about it this is an Irish man who's done brilliant things in Irish football, who is clearly super hardworking, dedicated. I have no sense of every stone not being turned over several times. And yet even some of my questions are just so, oh, it's not going well, though. And what about this? And what about the criticism? And what about that? And as you said, the reporting around it for much of the last year and then the text message response even into shows and, and the online discussion, you kind of think, this should just be a whole lot more enjoyable. Like, there's a lot of good things about this and it is a pity that it is so fraught, to use your word. It is, yeah. And, you know, like, people on the board, like, by the way, like, like of course, they're bloody entitled to have reservations if that's how they feel. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's, like, oh, sorry, that, 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 that's, Roy, what, that's Roy what you Barrett's, want. Roy Barrett's not saying you're not no, entitled to your opinion. Absolutely. And, like, it's right that they probably should always be having a review of, sure, of sure. like you know someone's performance and stuff but I think and I, I listened I think you were on the Finney party the other day I can't remember was it in that discussion a previous one that, that that someone made the point that like Kenny to a degree is working under this cloud a lot of the time yeah. uh, might have been who said that and I do sort of agree with that point in the sense that to me I, I would say it's fair to say that Kenny is probably aware of a lot of this yeah. you know even in his interview with you recently, like he didn't necessarily get picked up on to a great degree, but like you made a reference to sort of like he's fine with criticism, but not the agenda, agenda based. based stuff. Yeah. And well, that was the most interesting line in the whole interview. Yeah, and I, I asked him to elaborate, and he said no, he wouldn't. But yeah. that sort of points to a mood that probably does exist, and with that probably comes a degree of. I suppose like this whole line is, I think the Barrett referred to it or not, you, like, you want to look a little bit more on the same page for all parties. You don't want to portray an image of instability. Mm. Um, you don't want to portray an image of a sort of like, you don't, you're not sure what you are. And I think um, that can lead to probably a degree of sort of unease or yeah. uh, like lack of trust, you know? And I mean, the problem with Kenny is that I mean, he's had this from the start of his time in charge. Mm. 
and the video gate nonsense, you know, which was which was weird, you know, very, very weird and would probably naturally lead you to be uh, suspicious around sort of a where you know the extent of support that might exist internally mm -hmm. so then if you're probably reading stuff uh which is sort of claiming and it's from roy barrett claiming that sort of board members have been um you know telling board members to desist from speaking to to journalists it doesn't necessarily just present the image of the most sort of stable environment in which you can do no. the job to the you know to the best of your ability without being sort of weighed down by other thoughts. Now, of course, he has to block all that out too, but it's just been that way, hasn't it? It's just been a little bit uh, <laughs> civil war-y. You know, I hate using that term, but it's there's been aspects of that which would resonate. The football show is brought to you by Skywatch, Man United Spurs on tomorrow night, live only on Premier Sports. We're going to take a short break. Back with Dan in just one sec. Off the ball. And Munster are failing at that detail. It's not the big picture that's killing them. It's it's the minutia, the detail that's taking them apart. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. You're very welcome back. Uh, Dan McDonnell is staying with us. Very happy, though, to say that Kate Rowan of The Telegraph is with us on the line. Evening, Kate. Uh, evening, Joe. How are you? Yeah, great. Good to have you with us. So we wanted to touch on uh, Emma Hayes and uh, her health, and, and she's gone very public with her health. Emma Hayes being, well, uh, probably the best manager in the league across the Women's Super League. She's 46 years of age now. She's won the league five times uh, with Chelsea, she's blown people away with her analysis on ITV at various major tournaments. And uh, a little bit out of the blue, really, October uh, 13th, she announced on Twitter that she'd undergone an emergency hysterectomy on account of her ongoing battle with endometriosis. And she's taking time out of the game and she's working from home. And I mean, there seems to be utter devastation on her behalf at Chelsea. And uh, I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing on her behalf to go so public as much as anything. Yes, Joe. Um, I mean, I wasn't surprised because I, well, I don't mean surprised. I was surprised at how public it was. Um, but I did interview her um, about eighteen months ago um, for the Telegraph about about her her battle with endometriosis. And um, I don't want this to turn into a medical um, show, but it's just to, just to inform your your listeners, it's mm. a condition uh, that affects one in nine women, which is a lot of people. Um, but there's very little known about it, and just without you know, without getting into the nitty gritty, it's a condition where tissue like the lining of the womb starts to grow in other places. So it could be in places that could affect fertility, like the fertility, like the fallopian tubes, or it could be like on your stomach, which can play havoc. Um, or like I, I suffer from it too. And it grows on, on my, um, on my uh, sciatic nerve. So I have a lot of back pain and that's, um, but it's a really, really tricky um, illness to diagnose. And she's kind of one of the first people if, to, to be very public about it. Mm. Um, it was always, it was always something you knew um, was there in, in women's sport. And there's been people in, in kind of the entertainment industry, but the fact, you know, she could have, you know, she could have just said she wasn't well. Yeah. She didn't have to say why it was. And I think, I, I would imagine part of the reason, because it was the same rate, she didn't have to do an interview with me about it, and it was very personal. Um, 
is because there's just so little awareness about it. And yet it's something that affects so many people and the pain, you know, the pain is crippling. And she's a fantastic role model, not just about how, how public she's been about her thing, but everything she has achieved. Like they have, doctors and scientists have been able to do research and the kind of level of pain she and all the rest of us who suffer from from it with is equivalent believe it or not to how someone feels after open heart surgery Mm. and if you're living with that level of pain every day and to be consistently the best manager in your league and then to kind of break the glass ceiling in terms of being a pundit you know what I mean to be a you know it it didn't it wasn't like she was a token female she was just excellent Um, and you know the interview I did with her she talked about how disturbed her life was and how awful she felt at times Um, and you know, obviously she, she, you know, and she'd say herself, she was in a privileged position working in a high performance environment where she could get access to people. And, you know, um, but it's, it's opened up a whole dialogue. And what I felt was really powerful was it was obviously great to see the female players wearing get well soon, Emma, but to see the male players do it too, that's going to get people talking about this illness. And like, like for me, like it just on a very personal level and as someone who, who works in sport and, and and this can be quite a disruptive thing. Mm. Um, it was very touching to see the male players do it because people are going to start saying, well, they might, you know, they might know much about WSL, but they're going to say, what, what was wrong with her? Yes. And then they'll find out. And in reality, most people, um, I have found when, when you tell people you have endometriosis um, and I've been like I've just decided to be quite open about it when I'm I'm working with people and I get to know them and I feel a level of trust regardless of their gender. They, they'll they'll usually know someone who has it. Mm. And I think the other thing, I, I just I just think it's very very powerful from her. And I think it's I think it could be a very game changing moment in sport. Yeah, because as you said, it is uh, so incredibly common, and yet it isn't spoken about all that often. Now, we had a, a she's a bowler. A, a, world-class bowler on the show in the last year talking to us about her experience with endometriosis. I think that's the only time we've covered it on the show. I know, like, for instance, there's a massive push across UK media at the moment and here as well when it comes to menopause. But something, you know, just as crippling and and, and almost as common is something like endometriosis, which, again, I, I, I don't think, you know, you, you, you could say for sure everybody has an awareness of. No. And like I said, some people you will talk to and they'll know someone who has it. They won't necessarily be experts on it, but there'll be some level of empathy. And that's where we need to talk about it. And that's why I think her going public is so important because it's as as common as type 1 diabetes. And we would have a level of empathy if you had a colleague, Joe, or, or there was a sports person, you know, and we'd be going, oh, wow, you know. Um, like Henry Slade, I'm, I'm very much talking from my 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 English yeah, covering yeah. English rugby, but like Henry Slade, fantastic player for England, is type one diabetic, mm. and and he rightfully gets a lot of credit for for doing what he does and you know monitoring his insulin, and I've I've interviewed him about that, but but the endometriosis sufferers are just as common, um, and I think because of like I said the kind of nature of of the of the disease, people are worried about maybe getting a bit squeamish and then also just there hasn't been very much research and we're only kind of getting to a place where people are realizing that it's a whole month illness it's not just around your yes, time yeah. of the, your period so it's it's a bigger thing and I think yeah I think this can only be a good thing and there are a lot more women in sport when 
when when Emma did the interview with 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 me, I was really it's kind of one of those. I did it for yeah March of last year, so March is endometriosis awareness month, and it was kind of one of those kind of slow burners. It kind of went online. You're kind of mm, you're kind of like mm, how will this go in a sports section mm. of a pretty traditional. And then it just kind of took off on social media, and it, it was it was it was pretty high profile sports women saying, "I have this." Yes, because I I have to say, I, one of my first experiences, even just reading about it, oddly, was in uh, conversations with normal people. Sally Rooney, one of the protagonists in that book, has it. But again, it's not something that crops up all that often. So Emma Hayes has, I think, done a great service to many people and. One of the reasons I, I we wanted to touch on it, I, I was very um, genuinely very moved by an interview she gave just last month to Donald McRae. So she had gone through the most horrific time where, and I appreciate this could be very triggering for anybody who's um, gone through uh, difficulties with um, childbirth. So just be be warned. And she was talking about how she's had four years almost of of not feeling good. So uh, her son Harry was born. Uh, it says in the piece, half an hour before Hayes had given birth to his twin brother, Albie, who had died inside her after 28 weeks. This is in the conversation she had with Don McRae. And so what she was saying, and this is just last month, I feel the best I've felt since before I gave birth because the last four years I haven't been right. When I knew I was only going to deliver one live baby, I hadn't actually contemplated I still had to deliver two. I just needed to get Harry into the world healthy. But I realise now why women take a year off work after childbirth because I didn't prepare for the significant hormonal, physical and emotional challenge. And she said of losing Albie, that moment will never leave me. I feel sad for Harry who doesn't have a brother. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt now, but I accept it. I still have a cry about it every birthday and Christmas. That's normal. But for those first four years, I was just trying to survive. I felt exhausted. But I woke up when Harry turned four this May and that was the first time I thought, I'm back, I'm back. So, yeah, I, I'm, uh, you could not be moved and, and impressed and, and blown away by uh, this person. So I was, I was just so sad to see, you know, that the difficulty less than a month later and the tough time that she's going through. Because the other thing she said was, Kate, that or she said, my biggest regret from that time was coming back to work after eight weeks. Uh, nothing to do with the club because how do you step away from your job as a football manager for a year? What if they bring in an interim coach and after eight months they say, we'll stick with him or her? So even like at that time, she was acutely conscious of her, uh, you know, uh, not unique, but, you know, very unusual professional role. And so her being off work now, that's not something she's doing easily. She didn't even take much time off when she went through that trauma four years ago. No, and I think, I think that's like, the, the thing about about people with endometriosis is different trials and, and, and fertility and what she went through is, is is one very significant thing. And I think and I think, you know, for her to speak so openly about that and then she's also spoken very openly about her day to day struggles. Which like you imagine if, if if a manager in the Premier League was that open about stuff, mm. we'd be really talking about it if they had an illness and they said, you know, there's some days I just you know, um, you know, I'm just in an awful lot of pain, and I really just don't feel great. I mean, that that's that that was my interview. Kind of took a different angle, it was yeah. more about the illness, um, and then then what she said to Don McRae. But if you put all that together, and and, if, and you imagine that this is me trying to be a crazy feminist, but you imagine if that was 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 one of her opposite numbers on the men's side, people would be would it would be top of the news, it'd be top of the sports news. Um so, you know, somebody she's she's gone out on a bit of a limb mm. because often often people when they have this 
Um, and I think I think she's doing a huge thing for for women in sport for 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 because because when when she did the interview with us, one of her players, Beth England, shared it and said, "I have endometriosis," and and that was just you know people you know that was like a very public thing to do. Yeah. But she gave she gave her player the confidence, and I think you know. I think I think it's going to open. I think it's I, th- I think it's going to open it up yeah. because, it, particularly in in England, um, where football is you know uh, is is just flipping everywhere, and it's um, and and people know her. She's 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 gone beyond the women's sports space. Yeah. Um. It, it it has a real meaningful. I don't know. It's. I think. I think. I think. It could hopefully, change. It'll make people more open. Certainly. Certainly, I have found since since her intervention, um, more people are talking about it, and uh, and people are asking questions, and and there and definitely you talk about the character in Sally Rooney's book that that did a bit, but I think when it's uh, no disrespect to that, that that was good, but 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 sport because it's it's macho and all those kind of things mm. for someone to kind of come. I, 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 it just mean. Well, for me, I was just very, very moved by it. And having interviewed her, okay, well, my interview was a different type of thing to what Don McRae talked about. But, it, but to have her talk about like how how much pain she's in, and and to talk about like the different kind of things she has to do, and I think that's that's a big thing is that it affects people in different ways. Mm. Um, that that just because she lost, not everyone loses a child. Not everyone, um, fertility can be a big issue for some women. For other people, fertility is just they they just want to survive the pain. Mm. Um, so it it'll open up hopefully lots of different kind of that that it's not like that. There's lots of different stories, and she was very aware of that when when I spoke to her eighteen months ago. Like she was very very aware that like you know that she was doing it, and I very you know gave her space just mm. to talk about how it affected her on a day to day basis. And 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 before that, the reason I knew about it was about a, just before COVID. So in kind of February 2020, I'd gone to Cobham, and it was to do a thing about how Chelsea were um, the sports scientists nearly killed me over this for for generalising it. And um, but basically, were the first club to kind of publicly say they were tailoring their training around. Uh, female players, me- the women, obviously, uh, menstrual cycles, mm. and Emma Hayes, you know, mentioned her endometriosis in that, yeah. and you could see that was something that, like, you know, that that she could she could see that these kind of things have a has a real impact, and and didn't want it to stop someone's career because mm. it can it can have a huge impact on people's careers, um, and whole lives, social lives, yes. every every aspect of your Trying life, to normalize not just. It. Yeah, it's trying to normalize it. And I think I, I I was do you know what? It was it was just a sense of I don't want to make it about me, but it's just a sense of relief and to see like I said, I, I as well as that interview she did, that excellent interview about the, the loss for to see male footballers having get well soon about a woman who's had a hysterectomy. Mm. Is incredibly powerful, mm. and that's the kind of change we need because we, we because the only way like there's no cure for it, Joe. Mm. The only way we can we can start to make things better, and and I'm, I'm, I'm like this is getting a bit off sport, but is 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 for there to be that high awareness. And it was like when Marcus Rashford, you know, talked about child hunger. People people did something about it, and people discussed it, and and that's. You know that's where you're at in England. You need someone at, at that kind of Premier League level. And if you've Premier League footballers saying, "Get well, Emma," 
I I think that's a you know and and some of those difficult like you're saying some of those things could be triggering for people to hear around the, the child which is just one part of it um I think is but a very very sad and important part of it but it, it'll hopefully open up more dialogue and, and that's you know we we talk a lot and you know you talk about you know the moments you know um where sport does so much good and lifts us up and this is you know this is an off the field example where it is very sad but something very good is coming of it yeah no it's courageous um well we wish her well kate thanks so much for coming on and talking to us about all that yeah, no, no, no worries. Thank you very much. Thanks Appreciate for having it. me, Joe. Kate Thank Rowan you. there. Thanks. Thanks, Kate, from The Telegraph. We'll uh, take a short break. You're very welcome back. Football show. Joe Hodge on for Wolves. Yeah. He's uh, getting serious. It's his third Premier League appearance. Now, they, In a row. Yeah. They, 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 I don't know if you saw it at the weekend. You may not have because it was such a brief cameo. He came on in injury time at the weekend um, against Forrest and he nearly cut a player in half um, for the end. Like a sort of a Paul Scholes style tackle. Um, but yeah, it's like three, you know he's, he's getting totally team in. I think they're two one down to Crystal Palace now. But um, I mean, Steve Davis, the caretaker manager, you kind of wonder is he well disposed towards players coming up? You know, trying to give them a give them as much opportunity as possible, and will it change if a new permanent manager comes in? Um, but I mean, he's a very promising player, Joe Hodge. He always has been perceived that way. Um, and I mean, I remember at the start of the season, I wrote a piece about maybe I, I could see maybe six Irish Premier League players you know, playing regularly this season. And I was like, who's the seventh going to be? I have no idea who that might be. And I, mm. I'll be honest, I didn't have Hodge on my radar to be the mm. one that would, would have had Evan Ferguson or maybe a couple others um, higher up the list to get minutes. But um, yeah, he skipped right above them and, and he's, he's he's doing well. Greg Cunningham scored the winner for Preston this evening away to Huddersfield. We were both just saying during the ad break, he unfortunate in some respects, Greg Cunningham, such a talented player when he came on the scene. The yeah. leg, leg break at a tough time. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I know, you know, you never know with these lads who who, who were at the super clubs. You know, although City wasn't as super then as as it is now. Um, but yeah, just just one of these careers that nearly. I mean, still a great career by by the level of you know from from someone from Galway, you know, going and making a living at a very good level. Yeah, but probably just just didn't quite cross that threshold to like excellent career if you know what I mean and um, and he had talent really yeah talent. Clock, clock is against me I want to see am I misreading this Eddie Howe thing so I'm not sure that you are Joe but maybe the Jur- Jurgen Klopp press conference from Friday has spawned a thousand controversies so the, the most bizarre aspect I think of the whole weekend is that Manchester City are now briefing journalists to say that Klopp's observations were borderline xenophobic, which Klopp has had to deny today that he's <laughs> xenophobic. Uh, this is, you know, Klopp effectively had just said there are three clubs in world football who can do what they want financially. He was asked about this, by the way. He didn't just say, forget your questions. I need to come in and go on this rant. He was mm. asked about it. I was almost weary when he was asked. He said, OK, you know what I'm going to say. So this is xenophobia. There are three clubs in world football who can do what they want financially. It's legal. Everything's fine. But they can do whatever they want. Competing with them it's not possible to deal with that as in their financial muscle. And so City have said that these comments played a massive role in the Man City team bus being attacked and Pep Guardiola having coins thrown at him and, I don't know, various issues. And they've they've said it's Klopp's uh, borderline xenophobia, which is just odd in the extreme that we give that the time mm. of the day. So that's, that's one aspect. But Eddie Howe has decided to step up to the plate. The Eddie Howe situation... 
What happened here is the sporting director at Newcastle, Dan Ashworth, he said there's no ceiling for the club. They've spent 210 million sterling so far and two transfer windows. It was put to Klopp that Dan Ashworth of Newcastle, their sporting director, had said there's no ceiling. And Klopp said he's absolutely right. There is no ceiling for Newcastle. Congratulations. But some other clubs have ceilings. So you would think in, in the same way that Pep felt a bit undermined by the, well, it's all down to the money point. Yeah. Eddie Howe, I suspect, bristled. And on the back of Jurgen Klopp losing his composure, we can safely say on the touchline yeah. at Anfield, Eddie Howe has now gone for the uh, think of the children <laughs> uh, routine. So Eddie Howe is taking a stand. He won't take a stand about some things, but this he will. So he has said of the Jurgen Klopp situation and the behaviour, I'm very aware that I'm going to be looked at by millions and millions of people, especially children. And I think you have an expectation to make sure the game is upheld in the right way, with the right spirit. I'm certainly aware of my demeanour and behaviour on the touchline. Also, my players are looking at me and what are they going to think of me? I'm not going to be able to help them in the moment if I'm not in control of my emotions. I've got no issue with celebrating. It's more going the other way, losing my temper or losing control in a negative and aggressive way. I try not to do that. Yeah. like This, this is Eddie who, I, I mentioned the last hour with the lads on a slight tangent. When he took the job in November 2021, he had nothing to say about this grotesque sports washing operation which is underway. And I know people are fatigued with the talk of it, but when you stop and think about it, it's just outrageous what's happening in football and at Newcastle. And then fast forward after he took the job in November 21 to March of this year, and this was the weekend of the 81 executions in a weekend. And at that stage, Eddie said he was still reading up his words, reading up on the situation in Saudi Arabia. I'm football obsessed. I prefer to stick to what I know. Hugely proud to represent the club. And he, he said, again, there's a degree of kind of hubris here. He, 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 could, he said, I'm still reading up on the, on the situation in Saudi Arabia. However, he did want to point out to the journalists. I was a footballer, though, with a slight difference. I was 19 or 20 at Bournemouth getting on the team bus with the Times under my arm. The Times, Dan. Mm. Times under my arm and getting some very strange looks from my, in brackets, idiot teammates. The idiot wasn't part of it. No, of course, he's the more the thinking man's footballer. But I come from a family where things were pushed towards me and I was quite interested in world politics. Mm. I had a little more time when I was playing to actually look into it. Now that I'm management, your time, now that I'm in management, your time is such a scarce resource. That's not to say I don't keep up to date, but clearly I couldn't comment. I couldn't say a single word about still it. Still reading up on the it. Yeah. Situation. Maybe, his, maybe his, uh, his page is still refreshing. Look, I, the time. I made the point earlier, I understand his predicament with Compton yeah. and Saudi Arabia. However... To then go today and do the old oh Jurgen think of the See, children routine. There, there's a trade off with Newcastle. It's like it's it's you know it's like the live golfers complaining about certain things, and it's like well you were paid extra money to you know to compensate you for some of these uh, difficulties you're suffering, you know, and don't go on to us about growing the game or something, you know, yeah. like you, you sort of know you you know the deal. Part of the deal with the Newcastle thing is you just can't take the moral high ground. Well, he's, the, he's, there's, on, he's on there's, it there's a clause where it's like there's a no moral high ground clause in your contract it's like moral high ground Eddie I believe you're a well read man you once read the times I'm told you had it under your arm you liked world politics you told us sadly as part of this deal yeah. you're no longer uh, told you just stay clear of it do not take the moral high grounds in any situation um, but there you go he's the only person out there thinking of the world's children I mean he is he is thinking like will will I mean, he's just looking at Jurgen Klopp on the side and going, "This this man is the is the this man is the walking embodiment of all that's grotesque about football today." Someone passionately shouting, and to be honest, right, I'm not a Liverpool fan. 
sometimes Klopp like people like salivate there's a sort of a class of sort of you know middle aged Liverpool supporting male of a certain age who just loves Jurgen Klopp they want him to like you know adopt their family or something you know they absolutely love him and everything he says is hilarious and like, Klopp is a bad loser he can be annoying you know he can be irrational like all great managers yeah. Um I mean, really, like Eddie Howe taking a stand on Jurgen Klopp's sideline behaviour. What Jurgen Klopp said last Friday about the clubs with no seating is correct. Yeah, I think it's, I don't think you can argue with that at all. Um, so, I mean, I, but this is listen. Eddie's getting paid for this. This, this. this is the deal. This is the deal. You you just go out and you face it mm. and you deal with it. He's not angry, Jurgen. He's just disappointed mm. uh, Daniel thank you very much thank you Dan McDonald, the Irish Independent Football Show brought to you by Sky you can see Spurs Man United tomorrow live on Premier Sports OTBAM back with you tomorrow morning half past seven Tom Dunn on the way Football on off the ball with Sky all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports